Welcome to Gaia's Consciousness Podcast, expanding your mind and spirit. Learn even more at Gaia.com. Watch interviews, movies, and original series created to empower the evolution of consciousness. For more information, visit GaiaPodcast.com. Your journey begins here. In my previous shows with Cynthia Sue Larson, we spoke about intriguing concepts such as the Mandela Effect, quantum jumping, and reality shifts. Now we're going to drill down deeper into the quantum nature of our reality or unreality, depending on where we stand. Welcome back, Cynthia. Oh, thank what you. a year. It's been a crazy year. You you, you went through COVID, long yes. haulers, yes. and it was a challenge, but you saw all of the gifts in it. Yes. You saw what the underlying nature of that reality was. A little bit later, can we talk about some of that maybe? I would love to. For other people who've been through this journey? Yes, it's affecting okay. so many people. It is. Okay, I'm going to write that down. We'll bookmark it for later. But right now, you and I agreed what we want to talk about is this whole thing that seems to be, well, it's being called the, the era, post-truth era. So this is your, this is the way you phrase it. And this is a question you posed. Is quantum uncertainty driving truth wars? Right. Okay. There's a lot to unpack there, and I want to spend some time on it because everyone says, I don't know what the truth is anymore. This is everywhere. Well, uh, first of all, I, I think definition of terms would be good. Yes, <laughs> so, do. Okay, quantum uncertainty is basically an intrinsic part of quantum physics, the quantum paradigm, even since um, Heisenberg's uncertainty principle that so many people are familiar with, we're aware that you can't know both the position and momentum of a quantum particle, for example. So that phrase, quantum uncertainty, is definitely understood in the realm of quantum physics. where it's Now we're taking it a little bit outside the typical realm of quantum physics and moving it into um, these you know, truth wars, which is where people believe that facts are a certain way and that they can't change or that they don't change and that there is such a thing as objective reality. But what we're learning from quantum physics as we go is that that may not be the case. And so when we recognize that quantum physics is showing us that there is such a thing as subjective reality, subjective awareness, and it's not just one physicist saying and, that. There's, and there's uncertainty at the base of everything. Uncertainty at the base of everything. Yes. And this is a very key concept to soak in and allow to percolate because a lot of us that it flies in the face of what we think is true. We think that there is one fixed objective reality because we're so anchored in this material realism, this classical mindset, which is actually, in my way of looking at it, a subset of the greater quantum uh, logic, mm -hmm. the greater quantum paradigm, which is much more the universal set. So when you right. talk about a theory of everything, mm -hmm. you need to look at how do these two intertwine, interrelate, and what I'm learning and what I'm seeing, and from physicists such as uh, Lucien Hardy, who basically said that you can derive all of quantum physics from six simple axioms, that's a good thing because then you can say, well, if you can do that, then you can say within that might be the classical paradigm. And we don't have all of this put together so that all physicists agree, but we're starting to get many physicists like Carlo Rovelli, Tom Campbell, and several others saying that, yes, the, sub the idea of subjective realities uh, looks like that is the case. That is Rather than objective reality. Right. 
And, and before, people would say, of course, there's subjective reality. Mm -hmm. We all live in this little village called whatnot. Um, this person over here owns the pharmacy, and this person over here has the daycare center, and then there's the banker, and you all go to the same church on Sunday together, you know. And that seemed to be, there was a kind of agreed upon stability that everyone recognized their place and what each other did and what each other even believed to a large extent. Right. That's gone. That, I mean, to a large extent, that perception of that stable reality seems to be gone now. We're family members, uh, members of, you know, people, co-workers, right. uh, members of organizations, churches, spiritual groups can't agree on much of anything right now. That's true. Now, I want to go further into it because this, there's a lot of programming. The film of Social Dilemma, I think, certainly showed us part of how these camps of truth seem to be taking shape because we're being subconsciously molded and programmed. Take it away from there. Okay, well, the, that, that documentary that you're referring to is such a great example because even if people haven't seen it yet, The Social Dilemma, it shows without a doubt that we are being impacted uh, without most people's conscious awareness. Of, or permission, or even. Or permission, right. And then when you, when you see that the developers of some of these social uh, platforms do not allow their own children to use these platforms, mm -hmm. then you can start to see what is going on here. That's, mm -hmm. that's um, kind of terrifying when you think about the implications. So the implications are that our worldview, our narratives are being shaped to a large degree by uh, what we consider to be truth, you know, the, the narrative that we agree on, the socially agreed upon um, reality or facts. And as a individual observers, it's always been the case, we, we knew it was the case that what I think of as blue, you might, hopefully you think it's the same thing, but we don't know for sure. Mm -hmm. And we were okay with that, as long as, like you said, the baker is agreed to be the baker. And right, everybody has <laughs> kind of a something we can define and you know, count on yes. day, day in and day out. Right? Yeah, exactly. So it's, it gets interesting when we have the, the idea that these other forms of collective consciousness have come on the scene, uh, kind of snuck on the scene. Um, I'm not naming the social media. It doesn't really matter which ones they are. But anytime you get a, an aggregate of a collective of people and um, there's somebody shaping what's being allowed to be put forth on that platform or not allowed. Um, you know, the, whoever those are, the, the gatekeepers of those platforms, they are to a large degree uh, it, uh, shaping the way people mm -hmm. view the truth. So now it's becoming, but that's now it's shaping subjective reality. It is. And it's much bigger than any simple political difference. So it's even a bigger situation than just two political parties or way deeper. Like, it's way more than that. Right? Way bigger because the most common thing I hear people say, no matter what their beliefs on anything, which can be anything now, is, gee, I just don't know what to believe anymore. Right. The people are starting to doubt their own doctors, their own medical establishment because they've been through things and right. they felt like they were being gaslighted by the medical practitioners they were seeing uh, who were not believing what they were saying about their long haul symptoms and that kind of thing. Uh, that's a group that I've just been um, exposed to. You know, I've been part of that community right. and I'm still part of that community. I feel like those people don't feel understood. They mm -hmm. feel like they've um, been, um, like they're not understood by their families, by their neighbors, not even by their doctors. And mm -hmm. that is kind of a massive letdown for a lot of people. So it's almost like a period of reality deconstruction. If there, or was it ever constructed to begin with? 
Or is it just that we had a simpler time without these social influences and these media influences where it appeared we had more a more agreed upon reality? That's what I would say is the case. I think as things get more complicated, the internet came along, then the various social media platforms came along. So there's been a complexity that's been increasing. If any of us look back 10, 20, 30 years ago, uh, even if you watch movies, period pieces of those times, everyone seems so naive, so happy-go-lucky. Oh, yeah, Andy <laughs> Griffith's show, yeah. you know. And Andy knew everything pretty much. If he didn't, ain't be did. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and it makes us feel good because when yeah. you go back to a reduction of entropy, when you back um, the complexity off and you go back to that sense of just, if you go back far enough, you get back to pure unconditional love, you get back to the what the perennial philosophies talk about. Great virtues and yes, so forth. Yes, exactly. And that's what that's the actual energy. It's not even energy. It's the lack of entropy that drives everything. Let's explain that term entropy for those who don't know it because it's critical to this conversation. Right. So if you look at, um, like if you've got a cup of hot beverage or something, and you know that over time that, that it'll get cooler, so you just leave it alone, mm -hmm. and you can pick it up later and oh, good, it's cooled off. And then you can say, okay, I can take a sip. Mm -hmm. um, so the second law of thermodynamics gets into that. And, and we take it for granted. Of course that happens. But what we're taking for granted is this one-way direction of time. And that's something that's not necessarily required by quantum physics, which is interesting. Yeah. But it's something we take for granted within that t little subset, little bubble of our classical reality, of, all, of everything our senses can measure and experience. So, so what, what was that term? One, that of, the simple, one yeah. of the simple concepts is chaos, for example, right. when we're talking about en entropy. So let's talk about it the way you were using it a moment ago. So the way I'm using it now is looking at the complexity just with time. We get mm -hmm. more and more things, more apps on our cell phones. Uh, more our, potentials. More potentials, exactly. But they start getting realized, and then we don't even know what's going on with it, the implications of the... Um, interactions between mm -hmm. all these new technologies, these new ways of thinking, uh, new social um, ways of mm -hmm. dealing with things. It just increasingly leads to more and more complexity. Is more com so you, would you then define entropy as more complexity or more potentials? Or because sometimes it's also synonymous with a more chaotic state or a less coherent state. There's a tendency toward uh, chaos, as you say. Yes. But... Um, we can cut through that noise, through the entanglements. That's the relationships that we have with one another, mm -hmm. uh, with the earth, with the cosmos. Those relationships are everything because they can provide that, uh, if you want to call it an anchor or a sense of this is something that holds together here. This is where we can experience a sense of shared reality where we agree. This is the baker. This is the firehouse right. and so forth. So we are in a time of, would you say, kind of ex from our, certainly over the last decades of anybody who's been alive, of increasing entropy? Absolutely. Yeah, we're seeing a lot more of that. It's always been true. Uh, and it was exciting uh, around, the I think, the turn of the century around 1900. Mm -hmm. I wasn't alive to see it, but that was huge because um, people were feeling like, wow, the automobile is coming. We can leave the horses and buggies behind. The telephone came along telephone, soon. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Lots of things that just started feeling like, wow, this the world is really getting better, brighter. And then, of course, in the 1940s and 50s, it really felt that way. Mm -hmm. Then we had the Andy Griffith show in the 60s and mm -hmm. 
all of those days seem um, very naive to us now when we're looking at the issues that we're facing worldwide, whatever they may be, with the weather, you know, with the pandemic, um, with global warming that people are concerned about. You know, just all of the environmental issues are in some ways tied to the complexity or at least mm -hmm. our understanding of the world. So you mentioned that when it comes to, a little while ago you used the term the theory of everything, which Tom Campbell's mm -hmm. book is yes. My Big Toe, My Big Theory of Everything. Yes. You know, and he's, he's a genius physicist. He's, he teaches workshops on remote viewing because time isn't tangled. Time isn't one unidirectional and, and so forth. And he, he's just a brilliant fellow who I haven't interviewed for a while and need to have him back on the show. Yes. Because one thing that always stuck with me in his work when he was describing why is a cup a cup? Why are we perceiving? If, we're not, if this is nothing but particles or even a little denser, atoms, and atoms separated at such great distances you, you practically need to have, you know, a telescope to see them, right? I mean, we're talking about, we're not, all of this, everything, you, me, this cup is nothing but space with tiny bits of matter that somehow we're perceiving as concrete, real, we're drinking out of it. Mm -hmm. So he was talking about this perception of reality right? that he called our rendering of reality. Now, that's a unique term if you're in the video business because you have all these pixels and things in the here and there, you know, in, in the equipment. And ultimately, it all comes together through the process of creating an image. It's, the image renders itself into the complete image it finally becomes. First, tell us, what did he mean by that agreed-upon rendering of reality where no matter where you are in the world, this is a cup. No matter who you are, this is a cup. Well, what he meant by it, I'm not, I, I don't feel like I can speak for mm -hmm. Tom Campbell, but... Um, but in general, it, it, it has to do with consciousness being fundamental. You can't get behind consciousness. Mm -hmm. There is, and uh, you know, that was Max Planck, the founder of quantum physics, that said that. Yeah. And that's very true. You really can't go um, past consciousness. And so what it really means is that we are rendering all of the, the shapes and forms. This is very much as... This has been agreed upon. Yeah, it's been agreed upon. Because it's a, a shared experience, and so right. it's something that we can basically recognize. So that goes back to what you were just saying. The only way to really have anything we can, in our own lives, consider an objective reality is on some level to have an agreement, to have something agreed upon. And it's hard to have an isolated objective reality. Right. Yeah, the, the, uh, and what we're seeing with these truth wars is we're seeing a splitting. You can have two people yes. side by side who are observing something that one of them would say is a cup and the other one would say, no, that's a mug. And maybe they're both right. You know, when you get into quantum yeah, physics... Yeah, they look the same. Yeah, they look <laughs> yeah. the same. And, but, and if you see the handle, mm -hmm. then it goes from a cup to a mug, maybe. Yeah. So your perspective matters, of course. Yeah. But what's really interesting is now we're really starting to recognize that even if when one person looks for facts to back up an argument, whatever the argument might be, they'll be able to find that thanks to the fact that nature gives us what we're asking for. And, and, so, and social media and these platforms and algorithms yes. help manifest that for you. They definitely do. And for anyone who's using these, whether it's AI or partly yeah. our consciousness, we're starting to witness some of this very phenomenon. And John, the physicist John Archibald Wheeler was one of the first people that brought that idea forward that 
um, you can ask nature a question and you can get an answer back. And then Henry Stapp has written about that, another physicist. So there are uh, lots of signs that this is definitely happening. You ask nature a question, and so you're researching something, you're looking for facts, you want to back up your, your theory, position. whatever it may be, mm -hmm. and you'll find what you're looking for. And you can find very valid, verifiable facts, which might not have been there before. That's the interesting thing for me personally. <laughs> okay, go into that, because that's your bailiwick. <laughs> yeah, that's where it gets Jumping timelines and such. Exactly. Talk about, talk about that. Okay. Have you experienced that yourself? Because you research all the time. Yes, constantly. I do witness this quite a lot. And it's oh, when you start noticing it and you start recognizing what it is. Like you look at something and, and you, th you do a double take. Like that's not what I thought it was. Whether it's a logo or a brand or could be anything at all. Could be a fact in history is suddenly different. But any of those cases tell us that obviously, uh, well, previously to recognizing the Mandela effect, reality shifts. So what we're looking at when you look at this idea that you can look for the facts that you want, it is what you want because you're asking the question. And so that's where I think a lot of people don't realize what's happening. If you ask a question that you don't want the answer to, that's where I would advise caution, caution, don't do that. We really need to start asking questions we do want the answers to. So if people are getting one thing out of this whole interview, I think that should be the, the big, big takeaway. Uh, because And people think, well, what difference does a question make? It makes all the difference. Even if it's just a thought, you know, just a thought, makes a huge difference. Because when you're thinking and feeling and needing to know an answer, nature will give you that answer. And, mm -hmm. and so this is why it's so important not to let our fears, our anxiety, or our anger, or our grief lead the way. We, that's a big mistake when we let those um, dramatic emotions run the show. Absolutely. Let's refer back just to kind of seal up this portion of the conversation on the notion of an objective reality. You said there was an experiment that was done in 2019 yes. that seemed to lead to the conclusion maybe there isn't objective reality. Right. Okay, this, uh, what we're talking about now is an experiment that was conducted with six entangled photons in a uh, rendition of the double slit experiment, which is that famous experiment. Mm -hmm. I know we've talked about it before. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and basically, the idea of this experiment was to test the Wigner's friend hypothesis, which is, um, this, uh, this gets into the idea that if you've got the observer and mm -hmm. they are sort of dictating what you record what the truth is of a certain experimental result, uh, what would happen if there was an observer of the first observer? So you're starting to get stacked oh. observer, observation. And this was human observers? Uh, no. What kind of observation? This, okay, this particular experiment was conducted at the University of um, Vienna, Austria, uh -huh. and Edinburgh, Scotland. And so what they were observing was, what do these two devices record? Okay. And then the humans come along and see what the device is recorded. Mm -hmm. So there are humans involved, but the two devices are tracking these six entangled photons. And what did they find? What was the end result? <clears throat> this is where it gets interesting. What they found was the two devices absolutely had different results at the same place and same time. And so the takeaway is maybe there is no such thing as an objective reality. Okay. So going back to that, collectively agreed upon realities, that collective rendering of reality, go, using the uh, notion of this cup slash mug, depending on the configuration of the handle. So that would be, 
that's been for thousands and thousands of years in history. We've picked up a vessel like this, filled it with something, and we've drunk from it, and we all call it, whatever in our native language, a mug or a cup. Right. So that is agreed upon. That's agreed upon. I don't think too many people would argue that, but through thousands of years of experience and observation. So here in this room, I think everyone in here can agree this is a cup or a mug. Yes. Okay. So that's about as far as it sounds like we're going to get anymore with objective reality, right? So now what happens in this increasingly more chaotic field where we have expanding and en en uh, entropy, i.e. potentials mm -hmm. and complexity, how does anyone get their bearings again? Um, this is where I recommend uh, asking the questions you do want the answers to and getting above the drama of um, just coming from that place of anxiety or fear or anger or sadness. These very strong emotions can pull us off course. Mm -hmm. So what we need to be looking for um, is asking questions from a grateful place or a respectful place or a kind or compassionate place. Um, really asking questions like, how good can it get? Which is yeah, I love it. That's your question. I love <laughs> that favorite. question. That's a good question in any circumstance. And so this is what we need to be doing when we notice that the person standing next to us or whatever the situation seems to be for each of us looks like a difficult one. That's true because you're looking, you're, you're very optimistic and that's your favorite question in life is how good can it get, yeah. which I love. I just fell in love with you when I heard that that was your favorite question years ago. The person right next to you might be saying how bad can it get. Right. Now we are, now we understand, everyone said we recreate our own reality. I think you've just given some of the mechanics for that. Yes. We are creating our own reality. Absolutely. So let's talk about how good it can get because yes. it does erase and blur timelines and everything else. Time can run forward, backward. It can run in an infinite loop yes. and anything's possible. Yes. Miracles happen all the, the time. All the time, yes. Especially to people like you and sometimes to me too. Gaia.com lets you explore over 8,000 films, documentaries, and original series. There's so much going on in the unseen world. Hidden truth. Why in the media today? They still seem to hold back on these incredible stories. Behind an unknown universe. Where science and spirituality all come together. Gaia.com. Content you can't find anywhere else. For more information, visit GaiaPodcast.com. So let's talk about what happened when you were in a particularly high vibrational state in just an engrossing, lovely conversation. <laughs> Last time you were here in Boulder, right. you were at the wonderful Deshaun Bay Tea House here. Yes. Now, everyone had left. The waiters let you stay probably because they were just digging your energy. Let's talk about what happened, about how good it can get. Reflections of creation on the positive side. Okay, this is a beautiful experience. I was there with uh, a dear friend, Nicole DiMario, and she's the author of uh, Book of Nicole. But we were talking about, and this was January, mid-January 2020. It's very important to have the time frame. Because Just before COVID was COVID. Yeah, was exactly. being identified kind of, but not yet. It wasn't really on yeah. our radar. Yeah. We were not aware of it. So we had just been talking about um, the ideas for future conferences, talks, presentations, but bigger than that, what we were really hoping for, for the world, and really asking these good questions. And we were just ramping each other up, kind of like, like let's dream about how good it can get for the whole planet. Yeah. And we were just going higher and higher, and the vibe was off the charts <laughs> to the point that the wait staff said, just stay there, just keep talking. We, and we were talking and talking, and at some point I thought, okay, 
this is, you know, we should let them go home and we should pack this up. So I thought I stood up so I could get a picture with Nicole. And as I stood up, um, just in front of me, sort of in the middle of, in midair, I saw a rose appear and land at my feet. And it was a freshly cut tea rose with beautiful pink color. And I looked around, are there any of these other roses on tables? Is this something that they do here? No, there were no other roses on tables. And I didn't bring it. Nicole didn't bring it. It just showed up. And it seemed like it was definitely a, a marker of, uh, or an honoring, or maybe an answer back from the cosmos of, yes, this is a wonderful thing to be intending for all of humanity, to be looking at that's how, how kind can we be to one another? How good can we be to one another? How can we really respect one another despite differences? That is exactly what we were looking at, talking about, and then a rose appears. And then it, the story continues because I tried to, of course, bring this rose home safely. It meant a lot to me. And what happened is it vanished between the, I don't, uh, I got it back to the hotel room. I know that. I took pictures of it. But then after that, somewhere between getting it to the, uh, I, it, I had a safe container to bring it in and everything. I had it all set up, but it vanished um, en route somewhere. Somewhere it, it didn't, I don't think it made it to the Denver airport even. I looked for it and I thought, well, it'll, I, maybe I didn't remember where I put it in the suitcase, but it was nowhere. And it vanished for a few months, didn't, it, but it did show up again. So this is one of those disappearing, reappearing. Oh yeah, we've talked about that in other <laughs> yes. shows. We've both had that experience. So yeah. it showed up in the bottom of a heavily used bag that I was using constantly between that trip and just in daily life. Well, and you I empty it all I, the time. And I always empty it. And right. I, then I throw tons of heavy things on top, wallet, camera, iPad, who knows what, you know, just water bottles. So it would have crushed it. So I, one day I just opened the purse to put something in it. And at the bottom was the perfect, exact same. Wasn't even crushed. Not crushed. Perfect condition, dried, as if it had been dried perfectly for a few months. But there's no way it could have been sitting at the bottom of that purse. And so what did you glean from that message? Um, and that was just, uh, and this was several months later. Yeah. Now we're in the lockdown. Yeah. And it was a reminder of the same message again, like everything's going to be okay. So this is a rose, which has deep symbolic meaning. If you look it up in a dream book or if you mm -hmm. think about the fragrance associated with certain um, angels and so forth, it, obviously it's an indicator of love. And of just um, don't lose hope that that even if it seems really difficult right now, that that everything can come back together. You know, obviously we can keep this dream alive. Mm -hmm. So it was really don't lose the dream. You you talk about parallel timelines and and realities, and there are so many places we can go in this conversation. But since we're here, I've heard you say that you know COVID was a timeline. It was a timeline. Was there another one? I think there are lots of them. I mean, is, we all we yeah. have collectively agreed upon on Earth, it appears. Most people have heard of it or had some interface with it one way or another. So we somehow agreed upon this timeline. Yeah. So what have you learned from this? We have to say, since there are parallel timelines, right. that we have all collectively agreed to be in this timeline with this happening. Right. Well, when we look at how good can it get, when we look at what can come from this in a good way that can be helpful for all of us, that's those are the right questions because then we're getting answers mm -hmm. we actually want the answers mm -hmm. to. And so that's what gets interesting. Uh, there are other timelines possible. Maybe the things that humanity needed to learn would have been a lot rougher road with those other paths. And that's what I would tend to 
expect. Or maybe this gave us an expedited path to learning those things. Absolutely. At the right time. At the right time. So when I look at it and I look at the whole COVID thing, um, one thing that comes up is it's taught us whatever we had created prior to COVID that became known in um, medical circles and in language as underlying conditions or comorbidity factors. Yes. These things started coming to the surface almost right away, but only the extreme ones, you know, like diabetes or something. But the fact is, everyone, unless you're a little baby or kid, so most people have something that's been created within their being that's out of balance. Right. And what this did is it pushed it. It pushed it forward. Right. Whatever you have brewing got pushed to the forefront like the stress of COVID. Right. So tell us about the beauty of that. Yeah. That, well, see, I got personally involved with that. So yes, you I think, did. And obviously that's a good thing because then I was able to go through it, come out the other side, right. recovered with vast wisdom, knowledge, and depth of experience. Of yes. It, which uh, showed me personally that, uh, because I do keep asking those questions. I do live yes, this path of asking, you do. how good can it get? And what I started seeing was, uh, the gift in the long-haul COVID. Um, COVID was rough on me, too. But the long-haul COVID, I'd, I'd say that was much harder for me and for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Because it, 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 there are hundreds of symptoms, basically. Yes. To the point that um, when anybody goes to see their doctor or caregiver, the doctor's overwhelmed. Can't even untangle They can't it handle 200 symptoms. So no. it's too much. Um, but when I was looking at what are the gifts here, I saw, well, what am I seeing? And I thought, okay, I'm noticing I'm about 30 years older suddenly, like overnight. Right. So now I'm suddenly in my golden years, which are not so golden, like yeah. everything's falling apart. Yeah. I'm getting a preview of apparently I would get arthritis. I, would, I might get tremors, Parkinson's, um, brain fog, you know. Um, Alzheimer's, all of these things. So that we it, tend to associate with aging, right? Yes, but these are. But when would these things express in age, they've already been manifesting on subtle energy levels for a long time prior, yes. based on what we've been exposed to, our yes. thought, our beliefs, our past right. history, and all that. Right. So it almost gave you like a coming attraction time. Well, it was better than that. I felt like I got the answers at the end of the book. It's kind of yeah. like. <laughs> it's kind of like like. Wow, because when I ask what are the gifts, then I started seeing there are gifts because there are such things as antioxidants that can help bring yes. um, healing and bring restoration to our natural system so that we can back off everything I just talked about, which I was experiencing, as well as the multitudes of other symptoms. Mm -hmm. And we can do this with a very targeted approach. For each of us, we all have different physiologies. We all have different energetic makeups, but we can start learning from our own unique signs and groupings of symptoms and find exactly a targeted natural way out of it. Yeah, no, that's, that's really interesting. And I agree, that's the same thing I noticed among people. Right. Is that something that may not have expressed itself was expressing itself early. Right. Or, you know, way sooner than one would have expected. But on the other hand, it also, like you said, it t guided you, wait a minute, if arthritis is in my future, if that's, if that's brewing energetically, right. I can get a jump on that right now. And it seemed to me the greatest gift was to say, you know what? I think, you know, the people even at the highest levels have said, everybody's going to be exposed to this by the time it's, whenever right. it passes. And if not, you've had the spike protein introduced through vaccines. Right. So everybody's got this spike protein in them. Right. Now this is part of humanity. And so... In the initial stage of the stress of this new thing in us, we see we learn that 
the greatest gift is now we're obliged to listen to ourselves, our bodies, our emotions, and treat ourselves kindly. Yes. This is what's required to stay healthy now. Yes, absolutely. And that was part of the healing regimen that I followed was 90 days of minimum stress, exertion, and heat because um, it it releases the... Those spike proteins you're talking yeah. about. So long story short, that is necessary. And that's so hard for us. We tend to live a very stressful life. Well, look, I mean, this is wonderful. <laughs> you, know, you and I are both optimists. It's wonderful in a way because it got to happen to the whole planet at one time, pretty much, except right. for some isolated people here and there. Right. It got to happen to everyone. And usually those isolated people are indigenous people who aren't living the rat race life. The rest of the people, the rest of us on the planet are living. So maybe that's a lesson that didn't need to be learned in some of those more remote areas, and so they were untouched by it. But I just think about the beauty of what happened when everyone, A, we all talk about the great pause, everyone had a few months off, and you know everything was quiet for a while. Earth got to recover herself right. and take a breath without us trembling all over the place. But much deeper than that, we got to look at ourselves and who we are and what we're doing. And now if we try to do it, we start getting exhausted, or maybe we feel sick again. Right. Maybe That's- another little thing starts... Um, revealing itself in our health that we were not happy to see. And this is where we can play with that uncertainty principle, yes. play with the quantum physics, play with the entanglement, recognize relationships matter, the questions matter, and we can guide ourselves in a positive way um, out of it. Yes. And that's not to minimize what's happened to so many people. No. It's no. been a tough time and a lot of people have passed on. It has, and, and I, been, I had it too. Right. And while I didn't have any long hauler syndrome, I will say this, if I get emotionally stressed out and upset, one of the features that I had in my body, which was that spike protein that inflames you, right. where you start getting this burning under the skin and yes. tingling, yes. Um, that starts up again. So the spike protein's still there, so I know I'm over the edge on emotions and stress. Right. When I start feeling the tingling, it's like, there it is. Right. Back off. You right. don't want to go back right. to that again. Right. And so it's a wonderful reminder, you know, really. So. That's that, and thank you for sharing your own experience. And I think we've, I think we, we're not cheerleaders for COVID by any no. means. We're just looking at the silver lining and the beauty that can come. And it couldn't have come to humanity to slow down, pay attention, take care of yourselves, right. rest. Right. Couldn't have come in any other way. We weren't going to do it voluntarily. I hope people can be kind to one another and not withhold medical care. Or uh, that, that seems so that's like a, a whole other thing. That's a whole oh other my thing. god, that's where the truth, the camps of truth, have come in. It's right. become so mean spirited. Right. Really so cruel when this is the time we should be offering the most grace and compassion yes. to each other. Absolutely. That part of the lesson we haven't learned. Right. We're and learning, maybe we're starting to learn about our bodies, but we're not starting to learn about our interactions. That requires emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence, And we hear exactly. so many people talking about trust the science and be right. smart, but what about the wisdom of the heart? And exactly. That matters so much. It does. And timelines, traveling into the future. Yes, beyond all of this. Have you looked into the future? Have you had any experiences of kind of traveling into the, what appears to be the future? Right. Uh, well, I've, I've had a feeling of living uh, a past life in the future. So that's uh, a big one, but that's huge. That's like, woo. I yeah, know. <laughs> I can't unpack that in five minutes, but you could give it a try. But what is your, what sense from this, this thing we call past, present, and future and a past life in the future, so to speak, what do you see about how this turns out, where we're headed, 
And again, you know, these are all potential timelines. Well, hopefully we can um, return to a sense uh, that indigenous people have long had of respecting the earth, respecting one another. Yes. That is so important. And I've, I, I feel so strongly about it that I've coined a new term, revhumanism, as a different choice to transhumanism. Because with so many of the technology um, proponents, and there's nothing wrong with technology implicitly, but if we put all of our faith into AI, and the future being mechanized and technological. The heart's missing from the future. Yes, the heart's, heart's missing. missing. So let's talk about your version of what happens on the path you're talking about, because you talk about the word ascension, but not in the new age sense. No. Yeah. So let's talk about what real ascension looks like for you. Okay, well, real ascension has to do with getting into a higher level of wisdom that's available to all of us. When we start asking these questions and recognizing that our consciousness is really many levels of consciousness. And this uh, draws from the ideas from um, Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz, who was one of the inventors of calculus. And he had the idea that if you have a first order perception of touching something, a sensation of some sort, and then you, the person that you think you really are, you're observing that. And then there can be levels above that. So this is where the idea of ascension comes in, recognizing that we have higher levels of self that we might get through uh, feeling connected to angels, for example, channeling, that kind of thing. And we all have access to it. We can open ourselves up to receiving higher levels of awareness of self. And uh, so it's, it's a big idea. But It's a big idea, but also what allows us to open into the new, including the transcendent, is often trauma. Right. Being uh, pulled up from our moorings. Right. And that's certainly happening right now. It is. So it's leaving more people perhaps unmoored, but also open to new understanding, new influence. Right. Hopefully that's the case. And the, the big jump, the ascension leap, if you will, is to move out of that trauma body of the, all that thing. Mm -hmm. We were talking earlier about the grief, the sadness, mm -hmm. the anxiety, the fear, and the, the anger, these are points on a drama triangle. Mm -hmm. Those are the three main roles that people play without knowing they're doing it. And right. so the, the key is to rise above those knee-jerk reactions that we often have so that we can start feeling that higher level self that we can get. If you're, if you're able to document what happened to me this last 24 hours and actually find three things you're grateful for. That's huge. It's that huge. gets more toward the Cynthia way of living is how yes. good. That gets toward how good can it get. Yes. And this is so overlooked because we're tired, we're exhausted. Right. But I think you're absolutely right. If there's one thing we could do before we go to sleep at night, what you said name three things that we're grateful or thankful for. Right. That's huge. That's a takeaway. That's a post-it note on the forehead. Yeah. Because that's going to lead to this greater understanding and awareness that you're talking about. And when you tie that into what you had something to do with, mm -hmm. then you feel like, wow, I'm involved in this. And you start gradually crawling out of that pit that you might have felt like you've fallen into. <laughs> right. And you say this is really, in a, in a sense, it's about rising above our ego yes. consciousness. Right. It is. The death that happens, because often when people say ascending, they think, well, you died. But actually, the only death really is the egoic death, um, that smaller version of ourselves that's just interested in, I, I need to get mine. If I get mine, then I'm good. Instead of really recognizing that our life is much more in service to others, and that that's what brings true happiness. 
It is. So if we can be entangled, we're in this field of entanglement, right? You, mm-hmm. Dean Radin, many people talk yes, about yes. this field of entanglement. If we're going to choose, if we're going to be entangled, if we can direct our intention toward being entangled, as you say, in love, in loving presence, in grace, in compassion, and choose that resonance of entanglement, that's going to bring a certain quality of potential to our lives to create from. It absolutely does. It becomes our toolbox. Right. And it cuts through the noise. It cuts through, and you can feel it happening. Yeah. When you're focusing on the people that you love and on what you care about most, then those um, kind of chaotic concerns and anxieties don't seem real. And they're not. You know, that's, I mean, to someone they are. If, if people that are locking that in as their reality, mm-hmm. that, that can be the reality. Well, we've all been there, right. you know, gotten super stressed out, like, oh, I can't believe they're saying this. Yeah. You know, we've all gotten wrapped around the axle on this stuff. Right. But ideally, we can ascend out of the, the chaos, the, mm-hmm. the emotional drama, and get back to the, that sense of low entropy love in our hearts where it's not chaotic. Yes. Where we just have that feeling of pure love and bliss that unconditional love feeling, and it's real. It's quite real. Well, that's where roses manifest from. Yes. But that's where we can manifest our, re- our, rea- manifest our reality from. That's the best or place. Or we can be distraught and destroyed by what appears to be the lack of truth and the chaos ensuing and people at each other's throats and become in, go into despair, anger, or sadness over this. And right. that's our toolbox. That's what we get yes. to create from. And that's how you can tell which path you're on. That, that's a great right. way to look at it. Yes. One final thing I wanted to ask you before we go. Tell us the signs of this spiritual awakening, because there are a lot of them, and they're, they're kind of fast, but everyone watching is probably tapping into one, mm-hmm. or, one or more of these things. Well, there's so many of yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. Well, so let's get in, in order of priority some of the most common ones that you're noticing. Okay. Well, a lot of people are noticing things like repeating numbers. You might see, yes. look at your clock, yeah. and it seems like I'm always seeing 111. Yeah, I see that a lot, too. Yeah, yeah. Or 222 yeah, or 333. Yeah. 444. 444. My birth time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. So we see these numbers, or it might be a significant number. Oh. Like someone might see their birth number or their birth day. Yes. Or that of a loved one. And But the repeating numbers are very strongly meaningful because they can activate within us a sense that there's something bigger than just me. Mm-hmm. Like, how is it that every time I'm looking at a clock, that's the time? Mm-hmm. Who could be orchestrating this? Mm-hmm. Like, this is kind of mind-blowing. So that's like a tap, it's getting a, your, atten- getting your tap. attention. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. And then lots of people with ascension syndromes uh, are feeling things like um, seeing flashes of light. Everywhere, yeah. 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 So this is happening on a big scale. Mm-hmm. It used mm-hmm. to be just a few people this would happen to. Now it's much more mm-hmm. widespread. And then th- seeing things like reality shifts, Mandela effects, that's increasing as well. So it's, in other words, witnessing, like, am I looking at a parallel universe? Senses of lost time. Yes. Or no time. No time. Synchronicities increasing. Synchronicity is a big one. Yeah. Okay, so you, you, this, I love this. What we see can be changed. That's what we're going to go out on. If you can see it. You can work with it. Yes. You can change it. You can apply these tool, these principles that make up our toolboxes. So right. let's finish on that. Well, I like to do it kind of like improv. So mm-hmm. you can say like, okay, I accept this from a neutral place. So we're not getting dramatic. We're just recognizing, okay, like, so I've got long haul COVID. Okay. So you're in a neutral place, but you want to be um, positively looking forward. Mm-hmm. You want to be looking like, what can I learn from this? What's the gift? What's, where can this go? 
So then when we take the idea that what you see around you looks like it's fixed, it's solid, it's in place, it's not going to change, um, don't stay stuck there. Recognize things do change. Basically, some people that believe in miracles would say a miracle can happen in a moment, in a second. Absolutely. But we can also recognize, even if you don't believe in miracles, we now know that you can have two um, observers at the same place at the same time, seeing two different things. So your frame of mind, where you're coming from, the questions you're asking, what you're thinking, how you're feeling, will absolutely affect the outcome. Absolutely. So I love what you had to say. Just quickly re-encapsulating, stay out of the drama if you can. If you can all avoid the density of the drama, which takes you into a lower resonance field. Right, right. Have these three, if you can, before you go to sleep at night, find at least three things you're grateful for that you were personally even engaged with during that day, which starts laying the foundation for that good toolbox of love and resonance and Mm -hmm. gratitude, grace, and all of that, right? And understand that we're in a world that is, well, your reality shifts is is mm-hmm. what you do, right? It's called reality shifts. Yes. We're in a very fluid reality. Very. And so if we're going to have to choose what's true, we better make it good. Right. Ask the questions you want the answers to. Exactly. And mm-hmm. how good can it get? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, Cynthia, thank you so much. You're such a brainiac. And I really appreciate the fact that you can take something as complex as quantum science and bring it into Um, a language that we can understand and have takeaways from. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for what you do, too. (laughs) Cynthia puts out regular posts with her loving and incisive view on how we can live into our highest potential of life, into joy and grace and divine uncertainty. You can connect with her and support her work by going to realityshifters.com. You can also watch my previous interviews with Cynthia here on Gaia to get even more background on these topics. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. Thank you for listening to this episode of Gaia's Consciousness Podcast. Learn even more at Gaia.com and watch interviews, movies, and original series, all to empower the evolution of consciousness. For more information, visit GaiaPodcast.com. Gaia. Watch. Belong. Transform. Transform.